Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Yeah. But John, John set that especially for you, Dave. All right. Three. Hi, Jim. Hi, Danny. Hello. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're, man, we're doing great now. Uh, I've been, we, we've got uh, Marvin guitarist uh, Danny Raven here. Hello. And, Hello. Uh, Man, uh, so we've been we've been having a. I, I gotta say, before we start the show, um, Danny and I were talking. We've had like a thirty minute conversation that was just absolutely riveting, and I and I really I wish I had. I hit, ago. Yeah, well, I really wish I'd hit record. I already said um, some shit. So now, no, 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 no. no. Right. Now to, it's all boring. He's like we're a founder. He's a founder of wealth. Just um, rights and the price of gas. So, <laughs> so if you have it heard uh danny's music marvin is a and i don't know you've done other stuff before that too but i've just um, done marvin that's actually not true. oh really i thought been, i thought i've been I, just doing marvin okay marvin. I, and i believe it because because the stuff is like otherworldly um I, I okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna gloat a little bit about about danny's uh abilities guitar and and what he reminds me of i hear like a lot so it's obviously jazz based but I hear these other players coming out in this. I hear SRV. I hear Jeff Beck. I hear, you know, a lot of the great Strat players, but but just the kind of the spirit of that music, too, and the consistency and the emotion and the drive. And I'm I'm like really excited to have you on the show because I wasn't aware of your music until one of our fans reached out and actually asked you to come on the show. Yeah. And and also we got, you know, you sent me links of material that i was just yeah. kind of floored by yeah, um, yeah yes yeah. um and, we, and you'll get we're gonna give you ample opportunity to plug it yeah. uh for, throughout the show but um basically I just sneak um, it in, right? yeah. if you haven't heard the stuff he's he's the best guitar player we've had on this show since since um Badio. thomas blue oh, oh, yeah. probably blue. probably Badio, but i would say thomas yeah. blue's actually a better blue. player than Badio. Maybe it's good, but he doesn't have the soul. He doesn't have the soul of Thomas Blue. Let's just let's just be let's just go there. 
Um, I actually had a um uh speaking of that, I had a um a, one of our listeners uh from Germany who told me he's a huge Thomas Pink fan. Oh. Yeah, that, that, in Europe, like people really yeah. dig him and and honestly, I'm surprised that he hasn't had more success here. But there, everybody there's a lot of communism and fascism over there. No, well, <laughs> true. True. yeah, exactly. Um, but he is neither of those things. He's, no. He, you know, no, uh, no, he's being from Germany. <laughs> he's awesome. Actually. I'm saying, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how I feel about the Germans. I'm gonna have to think about that. It depends on who they are. We're, we're Israeli, so maybe our grandparents is enough. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's some history there, obviously, and that we're could gonna, be trouble. For we, we, we need to settle this down with a shred off. You bring your best German forth, and then a Jew is going to humiliate him with 30 seconds. What part, what part of this story correction over here? Yeah. <laughs> Are you, uh, damn, I told you this was going to be the best episode of the year. Oh, yeah. I've got to like, think about, like, you know, my son. This is for my grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're in uh, we're in Israel. Uh, I'm from Echova. It's like a town 20 miles south of Tel Aviv. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I've been there. Really? Yeah, no I've been there. Yeah. Jim's former um, Navy. I'm oh. former Navy, so um, I've been to a few times. Um, yeah, that's where you all go. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's great. Obviously, the beaches up there are fantastic. Um, yeah. And then, uh, obviously, Tel Aviv, I've been there. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been all over. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. A friend of mine was local, so we we traveled together. It's great. That was yeah. awesome. I love it there. I mean, big, big fan, but uh, no music scene. You know, you know, yeah. so, you know, you can't really get in a van and tour too I was far. Gonna, I was going to ask you. It's, it's either straight north or straight south. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and it's the side of New Jersey. And, like, you know, you're yeah. not going to, like, drive into Syria. Be like, hey, guys, you like shredding? <laughs> yeah, let's see how that goes <laughs> for you. <laughs> There's no, not that strong. Can't like ISIS and shit. Dude, no. dude, dude, dude. So that be that as it may, that that's like really true. If you go on YouTube though and you start googling like, um, or you start looking for uh, like, I want like Middle Eastern heavy metal bands. They exist. Oh, and we had an idea that we're gonna all like because of the whole, the progressive thing that's happening. If we like put out a video of Marvin. But not say it's Marvin, and all wear burqas and just like clickbait it, like look at these four Muslim conservative women shredding, yes. and just show our hands. That, it's gonna be, be great. That would well, be awesome. All right. What? So, so like that's like eyes. But what's crazy <laughs> is even, real, real dramatic with it. Shred these yeah. people. <laughs> These people are willing to risk their lives to play like the music they like because they're not allowed to in their own country. Yeah, like, I, I, it, one of the well, bands I saw, I like is out of Iran, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, it's the power of music, man. man. That was a very strong calling. I, I caught that bug when I was in high school too. Yeah, it makes you do shit. Yes, it does make you do some weird <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> So, so you don't understand, mother. Yeah. So, so you were, so you are a native born from Israel, right? Like you're, you're not. I was, actually, I was born in La Jolla. My parents were here for work. Uh, okay. Israeli, and they moved me back here when I was two weeks old. So I grew up from two weeks old to eighteen. Okay. So, 
Okay. So, so you, I have to ask you a silly question because I, just because I know the politics in, in Israel, did sure. you have to do um, a year or two in the army? I had to do it, but I got out of it. I fake mental illness. Uh, I went to an army shrink, and my mom's a psychologist, so she told me, like, like you know, exactly what to say. And white out on the table, take it off. I like as soon as I, I sat down, I took out a ruler from like the guy's like little like pencil box, and I started yeah. just scraping that shit. And he's like, "Do you have any friends?" I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm like fucking sad, man. I just gotta get the sterile clean. <laughs> That's the same story my friend told me, almost to a team. When he got out of it, when he was in the there, and he was in the navy with me, the American navy. <laughs> he did the same thing when he was there. He yeah, started whacking out. Clean that white up, man. If you make shit yeah. clean, it's amazing. It's so, apparently it's a mental illness. So yeah. how do you how do you go from um living in Israel, right? And then becoming a Berkeley grad? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm the first and only guy to ever graduate from Berkeley. I don't know if you ever talk to people who go to Berkeley. They're like, I was here for a semester. I actually graduated. Um the force <laughs> of inertia is something that's been very strong in my life. So uh I just kind of start doing something and get too into it and too kind of i don't see the possibility I, i'm very narrow and i'm into something i think that's yeah. kind of like how i got to practicing how i got into guitar just when i'm in i'm like that hyper focus that adhd focus that's what i call it yeah yeah, yeah i don't know if i have that but i do sure i like, do <laughs> I <sure> like the <laughs> medicine. yeah okay. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's amazing so they just give you meth and you're happy yeah, but yeah. So I went. I went uh, to Berkeley when I was seventeen, almost eighteen, and I just kind of cruised and did it and graduated. And it wasn't a great experience. Uh, it's just the music school. Uh, really, really, really good at uh, making people sign a contract which is basically signing their life away uh fortunately i wasn't in that position financially like some people but i've seen a lot of people that graduated with me that basically made them unable to continue and pursue a life as a musician so i wouldn't wow. recommend it to people who don't have either a very huge scholarship or it's paid for with rich parents um and also this day and age, you got to really ask yourself what that information is worth to you. Like, what if you have a hundred or a hundred and fifty thousand dollars? Like, ask yourself who your favorite player is and just go live with them. They'll literally, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for that kind of money, or like much less than that kind of money. And you'd be, like, you'd be an apprentice and actually learn some shit. The, 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 the one thing that Jim and I have learned from doing this show is that you guys, professional musicians in general, are so approachable. I mean, yeah. unless you're like the super A-list people, you can get these people's like you can get these people's contact info and sure. you can talk to them and they'll talk to you like a normal dude if you treat them like one. Yeah, well, it's I mean, because, because they've been demoted to normal dudes. They used to have a lot of money. <laughs> right, yeah. Now they have regular coffee cups like we yeah, do. Try, try, try to talk to Van Halen, see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. so... That and then that's great to hear. Like that, that you, you're not because uh, I've talked to other people who are like big believers in music school, right? And they're like, oh, well, they changed like my life. It changed my life. 
And well, you know, there's a, there's a great Thomas Sowell saying, which is, if you want to help yourself, uh, you got to lie. If you want to help other people, you got to tell them the truth. And I, I'm very interested in helping other people. That's that. awesome to hear. You know, because I really want people to have, if you're serious about this, and you, there's going to be enough sacrifices, even if you make all the right choices. So yeah. if you make some of the wrong ones, you're going to be bucked. Like, you know, and it's, it's right. true. There's a, great, there's a great saying that, uh, and it's kind of like a Jewish saying, which is that a wise person won't, no, it's that a smart person can climb out of a hole that a wise person won't fall into. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of a lot of people can figure out how to get out of that, but like, just don't don't go in that hole. Don't go in it, right? Don't right. Go yeah. in that hole, man. It's a big hole. You're not gonna like if you're signing out a contract that's saying that you owe. You start every month before your rent at minus eight hundred dollars. You're not that's trying right. to go to it. You're that's not. Right. To it. That's not happening. You can't. You won't get your foot in that door. It's like you, there's. You're gonna have to have a grace period of years where right. nobody comes to see you. You know, and you got to have, and the only way you're going to survive it is by economizing your expenses before you can work on your income to a level that's so minute that it's going to make it somewhat possible. It's the starving artist idea. We used to, we used to call it um, uh, scraping to get by at at minimum, uh, you know. Yeah, it's a minimum. I I, I tell tell my kids the same thing. I say, you know, the first thing I do is get my minimums taken care of. Right. Don't take yeah. care of, you know, these things don't come because I, I didn't take care of the minimums. You know sure, sure, sure. But I mean, there is a point where you got to think about your income, you know, right. and maximize that. But that's not right. that's not the initial point. And yeah, about the ramen, yeah. Hipsters came and even made ramen expensive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Um, yeah, yeah, you go, you go to um, great. Yeah. Went to Walmart, got your ramen, went to the gas station, got your coffee. That's it. So I used to go um, when I was a musician, when I was uh, younger, we used to do is we'd get ketchup packets. This is a true story. We'd get ketchup about packets. That today. Did you do that? So we'd get we'd get a bunch of them like back in the this is early 80s. We go to McDonald's, we get these ketchup packets and then we break them up, put them in a, like we'd ask for a hot cup of water. And that was soup. That was tomato soup. Yeah, that was my tomato soup when I was, wow. when I was on the road. You know, yeah. uh, when you talk to your oncologist, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure to mention that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> what you know, but, Jim Jim's got Jim's got double trouble though because like he, he's a uh, he's a veteran, so like he's going to get yeah. screwed by the government on that, and he's also oh, gonna yeah. get screwed on regular healthcare. Dude, this country is so rich. Like when, <laughs> when you realize that all condiments are free. It's really yeah, it's really, I know, crazy, right? Walk into any Walmart, it's like unlimited mustard. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we survive, though. I know it's it's calories, man. It's like yeah, uh, yeah. and we yeah, used to take um, napkins, and that's how we took a shower in the bathroom. You can get deep into that approach. I mean, that's how for us, like the, the I, I have a day job. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> look at that. I did. <laughs> you rich people. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you work? I mean, you can just Jim, Jim will tell you though. Mustard. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um, no. But, so know, anyway, there is a point I, where, like, you know, that survival mode 
gets and you can get too deep into it and that's how you become homeless too you know? right right, uh, right but but you know you gotta you gotta find the sweet spot i know i know famous musicians um that and unfortunately i know them here um that they just never like you said they got caught up in that mm -hmm. and yeah. they never knew how to take themselves out of it so when they did get a little bit of money they didn't know how to then start applying it right yeah, and so, like you said, yeah, we're gonna get Wonder Bread and put the ketchup in that now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Condiment sandwich, <laughs> gonna be huge. I'm telling you, and it, and it became, it's become something where um, when people, you know, they get caught up, like you said, in that in that environment and that that thing, that when they get a little bit of money, whether it's whether it's bread or it's unfortunately usually drugs and. Well, I mean, there's a famous story about the uh, about the diamond miners in uh, in Africa, oh, yeah. where you know they sent they sent these kids. They're like in the belly of the earth, like 17 hour shifts, no oxygen. They get out of there, and like these people ask them, like you know, what is your dream? What like you know, if you could imagine, what what is your dream life? And they say, right. we want eight hour shifts, and we want three meals a day, and that, so it's like even the paradigm that you see your success in is never free of constraint. You're always doing things in the framework of your life. So if you get into the survival mode that's this big, your dream becomes that big. You right. know what I mean? It's like you, 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 your, your, no, your notion of happiness and perfection is always relative to your life in some sort of very direct way. Right? So you, you got to dream a little bit bigger, sure. You know, it's like... Right. A, Imagine some real happiness and real satisfaction. It's very nice. Yes. It is, especially when you don't have that, you know, that perspective or that frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, um, I, I reminded Jim, you and I had a conversation a long time ago um, with regards to this, but essentially that, you know, we're, we're here in the States, we're sheltered. If you've never been outside, yeah. if you've never been outside the U S into a third world country, and I'm not talking about a resort in a third world country. Yeah. Like going, people who talk about, Oh, I go to Jamaica every year. Yeah. Or I've been to, I go know. to Mexico and they go to Puerto yeah, Vallarta. They go you to know. Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. Uh, you don't, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there the people here are, um, are sheltered. I would say that they're lucky. Yes. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. I don't. I mean, I'm not trying to insult anyone. I'm just saying that they don't understand the human condition that goes on outside here. Yeah, but people there don't understand the human condition here too. Exactly. Like, no, that's people, true. You can't have a global, a truly global perspective. You know, you know what you know, and even these people that travel around the world in refugee camps also have a very narrow perspective of that. You know, it's right, like the world right. is just big, vast, and complicated, and you just got to navigate the situation that you live in. Right. Whether that's yep. your family, your band. Your economy. You I, was just right. gonna, I was just going to point out, but there is one constant. I think that all cultures, with some exceptions, um, do have music in their yeah. in their in their yeah. fabric. I mean, even we were talking about Islamic cultures and places like Iran. They do have music. They're just not allowed to have music for fun. Like, it's, well, I mean, they have, they have traditional music. They have like in Iran. They have. They actually, their music isn't bad you know no it's like, right it's right. just it's just focused on and, one specific aspect of their life and if you go to a country like that every every five o'clock in the it's evening the and five in the morning, yeah you've got got that call to prayer and they're singing their asses off yeah you yeah. know and it's and it's very beautiful i mean I yeah. don't want to hear it every day, but I'm sure to that. It's, it's gorgeous, <laughs> yeah. you know? Right, right. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like, we all share this because 
we it comes from this common element, this primordial element. And yeah, um, I would love it's like every like like there was a building that's like every five o'clock would just play Louis Armstrong. Like, yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. no. Well, I would be fine if Jimi Hendrix came out every morning and and opened up like Woodstock, like right. you know, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but you know, you get you get the idea. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I mean I think that's that's really thought provoking, and and this whole idea of like not going to music school because you end up in debt, like th- that's how it starts. You know what I mean? Well, I mean I think there's. That's one element of why not to go. The other one is, you know, I okay. I, I do a lot of uh, Facebook Live on our on our Facebook page, and I get to now it's grown a lot. You know, we have like a quarter of a million followers on Facebook, which mm-hmm. is pretty yeah. crazy for a fusion day. You're much uh, bigger than we are. <laughs> well, you know, but it's uh, through the live. I get the thousands of people a day, and I do it almost every day. And I just keep, I just talk about music. And uh, there's something that I've said a lot of times, but I'm going to say it to you too, because I think it's true, which is about the nature of music theory, right? A lot of people have a fear of music theory. And that's really what you go Not to us. school to get, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you go to school to get, to get uh, somebody's notion of, of what music theory is and then deeper into that system. But you need to understand I think what music theory actually is, and it's not like scientific theory, no. right? Scientific theory uh, lays out kind of a proposition about the universe that you can either prove or disprove. That's not true with music theory. You can't prove or disprove what a scale is. No. You can only define it, right? What? So, and, and it's, it's, it's more like linguistics than it is like, physics and what the the analogy i like for what for what uh, music theory actually is is the analogy of a library right right oh, just click something now we're cool we could say no, you're, everything's good you're fine see we you. see you fine good. um so if you think about imagine that you're in a library and you have millions of books and you're you are the librarian Right. And those books represents all the notes, the rhythms, the chords, all of the elements that make up music. Now, it's your choice how you organize those books. You can do it based on weight, width, the color, the color of it, whatever name of author, name of publication. There is actually an infinity of arbitrary ways of organizing material. Right. The thing is, now imagine that you have a task, like somebody comes to your library and tells you, hey, man, can I have every book written in Bolivia from 1902 to 1903? And you just spent two decades organizing this library by color. You are absolutely fucked. (laughs) That's the situation of a bebop musician who organized his musical library in a bebop way being called to a rock game. Yeah, but it's right. also the situation of classical arranger being called to a bebop gig. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to subscribe to a way of organizing your library, you better make sure that it suits the task that you want to perform. Right. And Berkeley is one way of many possible ways of organizing your library. It has to do with chord scales, has to do with really, I would say, post-bop harmony like West Montgomery, for a guitar, maybe like Joe Pass, maybe even Michael Brecker, Pat Metheny kind of. And if that's how you want to organize your library and you want it in a very, you know, you want a very cold, 
institution that you, that's faceless, that just has these textbooks read right. to you by people who can kind of play, um, you know, to sh- shove that kind of information on your throat and you have the, you can afford, that's a good choice for you. Yeah. And if you're going, for me, I, I just remember, I, I grew up in Israel. Guitar at 17 was pure magic. Like, yeah. I just, I never saw my heroes. I could just hear them, right? And I would hear like Scott Anderson or Alan Holdsworth playing and it was just, I'd see the electricity, the colors, like the shapes. It was just like, you know, total psychedelic experience without drugs. I could, mm-hmm. I could smell it. I could, it. It had so much meaning to me. And then I sat down my first week at Berkeley with like, since I think his name was Mark Walker, guitar instructor. And he was like, he was like, oh, you like fusion. How about this? And I was amazed because he was playing this shit and it was the notes and the rhythms, but it sounded like nothing. It yeah. was like the void of all the stuff I liked about music. And I just couldn't. How- it, it lacked the mojo, the, the energy. The some the the thing yeah. whatever like whatever thing that intangible is, thing yeah we've all well, talked about it at some point but it's like but it's it wasn't intangible I could see it five minutes ago you know what I mean? yeah it was yeah totally a part of my life as a listener I could see it I could smell it I knew what it was the guy didn't have it and right. it was, and and I was never in a, in a room with somebody who was supposed to have it because I was far away from where this music was being generated. So it created this dissonance in me, which was like, how come these people don't fucking have this Matheny power, the Michael Brecker rhythm, the Holdsworth, like, angle, like, the thing that makes, they have the notes, they know the scales, they know how to play, it sounds okay when they're playing on the chords, they're playing the right stuff, but it's just stuff. Yeah. Where's all, where's the stuff under the stuff? Yeah, they're, they're straight regurgitating. And well, we, I, mean, it, it, I mean, he was fine. He was an okay player. He, probably people listen to him and have an okay time, but I didn't want to have an okay time. You know what I mean? Well, what I'm saying is that, like, he ingested this material from other players and then he could spit it out at will, but it wasn't the same thing. You know what I mean? It was just like, here's the notes, but it's not just the notes that are part of that. It's not just, yeah. you know, that the, the phrasing and intonation either. It, there, there's something else that drives it, and, and it's like, um, who is it? Uh, one of the, the um, Almond's nephew. Uh, he said it, and it's in the intro for for uh, oh, No, well, no, it's um, uh, I forget what his his first name is. The other, he, he's his last name is Almond, right? And uh, he says, "I want to hear what's pushing the note. I don't want to yeah. just hear the note. Like, oh, yeah. I want to hear what's behind it." That's yeah. right. What's behind the note? Yeah, that's every time they open Amps and Axis, he says that. Yeah, because yeah. they yeah. Stole, they stole his his phrase from that. But but he's but he's right. Like I've been in the room with players that can do you know like for example I I know a guy who who could play uh, Scatterbrain Jeff Beck's Scatterbrain mm-hmm. like just like Jeff Beck except that it wasn't Jeff Beck doing it and so it didn't have the same tenacity and the same force and it's what what you're saying like. I say it's intangible only because I can't put I can't put words to it. Like I can't I can't put my thumb on why it's not there, but no. I know it's not there. Well, it's, 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 it's a I power, call it being flat. Of people. It's the power. It's it's the actual. You know the notes. This it's like it's it, at the end of the day, it's surface for an idea that reflects a personality to emerge, and you got right. to pour life into things. And I think I think it, I take that um, if you take it away outside of music. 
Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you see a movie, right? That's about a uh, thing that happened, whether it's Martin Luther King's speech or, you know, something like that. And and you see them give the exact same speech and they, they make all the right hand gestures and they throw their hands around there, but it just loses. It doesn't have the strength. same energy. It doesn't have the same energy. And I think that's the same thing. We can't always describe what it is that's missing. We just know there's something missing. Yeah. That, yeah. So for me, that, that that was the big, that's the one thing that was really disappointing. It wasn't even about Berkeley, you know, it was just about um, the difference between the world of engaging with the best recordings to 2003 in the States, where I thought this stuff was happening. And then I was like looking around, it's like, oh my God, it's not happening anywhere. And yeah. all these people who are my heroes abandoned this country, right? It's like, I, you know, we were the opening band for Alan Holdsworth uh, for three weeks in uh, 2012 and mm-hmm. for Scott Henderson, we did a few tours with him. And those people call most of the states in the country flyover states. Yeah. And it made their career playing markets outside of here, you know? And yep. our band plays every market in this country. We've been playing 250 to 300 shows a year since 2011. Yes, and with good reason. (laughs) Yes, Scott Henderson, um, I know you mentioned him. He's been playing a lot like he'll go to uh, South America Mm -hmm. or he goes over to Southeast Asia and Europe. That's his Eastern Bloc. Yeah. Right. And then and then he'll go, you know, New York, Chicago, L.A. L.A. Yep. And everything else is flyover. That's -hmm. exactly what he called it on uh, on his podcast, that, that everything else is a flyover. Right. And, he doesn't uh, do Indiana. He doesn't do um, Idaho. He doesn't do uh, Salt Lake City or Colorado. Or if you go back and, and and analyze the strange what the strange death of jazz music in this country, I think what you find is uh, somewhere in the somewhere in the sixties or in the early seventies, jazz itself switched model from a free market model, meaning like Miles Davis would sell tickets to his shows. Yeah. Right. So, and that's how we made a living. And to, until it became a commodified market. Well, I think what happened was that they copied the, the business structure of classical music. They yeah. went subsidized. They wanted right. cities and NGOs to pay for it. And anything that, subsidi- that subsidized starts decaying. That's because right. Because all of a sudden, people aren't voting for it with their money. Committees are voting for it. And then right. you get the hip, you know, eight people deciding what the most artistic thing is. And it becomes more and more kind of like, you know, away from. from it became taste. elitist, is what it became. Yeah, elitist, elitist isn't necessarily bad as long as it's voted for publicly, because there's a balance. Like, reality has a way of correcting you, right? It's like you, right. you are supposed to want to make your music elitist by wanting to make it the best it can be, right? But you're also faced with the constraints of basically, if you make something that's too brainy, nobody's going to buy it. Right. Yes. If you have a committee that only buys brainy things, then you're starting to try to shoot to an aesthetic that's not your own, but also isn't the public's. It's just the committee. So you're in this weird guessing game and music gets weirder and weirder because they're aiming at the money. But the money is is basically being distributed randomly. That's and that's the worst place to be. I can say that locally. So I live in uh, what they call Hampton Roads, which is southeastern Virginia. We have a great uh, jazz scene. And it's it, uh, it's uh, amazing, Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, Virginia. 
Yeah, by Virginia Beach. And there's right a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, play, yeah, okay, so you've been, um, we, we uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we've, we've got a great um, jazz scene. Um, you can go into just about any uh, of the hotels in Norfolk, downtown Norfolk, and it's not a rock musician. It's not a, it's not a, it, there's a, a jazz trio or a jazz duet or um, a jazz solo artist or whatever downtown you can go to uh, hampton you can go to newport news you can go to virginia beach go to, you know chesapeake there, there's jazz in this area and it's all really that is well great. i will say that like for for musicians to start shooting into the hotel and restaurant industry is also not the great not the greatest yeah. sign for it you want to be no. able to just take a room Make that your home for the night and sell tickets at the door to come in and listen to your musical experience. Right. And I think that that's, that's the barrier where most bands kind of not, aren't able to cross to generate right. enough audience that actually is interested in what they have to say to pay money at the door to come see them. Right. And then you take the money and the people get the music and... Yep everybody's happy yeah and and fortunately when we you know we have a long outdoor festival scene so um that's that's really where it peaks that's where we get the good stuff yeah, but then you get into you get into public funding and you know that's what exactly I mean? what i was that's exactly what you were talking about there's public funding but fortunately we like those opportunities like we will we, we jump on them but i think that there's a corroding element to that that changes the music and uh and I think it led to the to the to what to kind of a decrease in jazz, right? Right. Because people like Louis Armstrong, it's very clear. It's very connected to how people perceive music. It's very con even Charlie Parker. It's a yeah. lot of very tasty things. Like even if it's playing fast and fast tempos and fast lines and stuff that's hard to digest first listen. There's so much blues in there. So much like tasty little bit. Even Coltrane has a lot of like tasteful oh, yeah. stuff this thing like you know but if you can't even compare it to the level of dissonance of like a 90s new york jazz guy where it's just right. like you're too song you feel like you've been clubbed in the forehead you know yeah where it's, it, where it's basically avant-garde at that point because it's it's there there's no attempt at really trying to build like harmony or something consistent that the that the audience could attach themselves to sure sure so it, it gets it gets into that kind of that kind of territory so that's how it's about straight ahead now fusion i think tried to tap into the public money but never was successful it wasn't accepted as a form of jazz especially with the electric guitar like maybe yeah. mark miller with like the slap bass smooth jazz kind of stuff managed to be stay a renegade for me would you <laughs> yeah, for a little while for a little while chick korea was getting it well I, yeah some festivals some big like cso kind of things but again he was kind of always halfway between acoustic jazz and electric I was just going to say, he got it because his reputation as an acoustic with jazz Miles, guy. And with Miles Davis, everybody was kind of like, you know, uh, in, in that scene went on, or most of those people went on to become basically the next generation right. of famous yeah, people. John McLaughlin, uh, yeah, exactly. Korea, you know, the, yeah. Yeah, Al Damola. Yeah. I, I can, yeah, exactly. I can remember seeing all those guys. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, with Fusion, I think what they did in the 80s is they really tried to, instead of uh, integrating into this public funding, or they tried and it didn't work, and I think they went the direction of pop of the era, putting yeah. all those horrible synthesizer sounds in their music. I know, I know. Machines, just 
make samples all the time. Yeah. Don't remind me. Because that whole fucking thing of the Hawaii shirt and the calculator watch ruined the stuff. Yeah. Like, we're still on doing the damage that those motherfuckers done. <laughs> you know, so that- a broken ass world for us to navigate in. And like, like just for, for eight years, we call ourselves jazz rock just because fusion was such a fucking bad word. It's a no, nice yeah. word. I, I called myself a fusion guitar player before and people yeah. look at me funny. I'm like, now just remember that, that unfortunately what you were talking about when they started adding the synthesizers and the electronic drums and stuff, that begat, that begat the whole thing where it then became Kenny G. I mean, Cole, seriously. Well, I actually, it, I actually disagree with that point because I think I, I listened after I actually didn't know Kenny G very well, uh, just because you know I, I don't know I don't shop at Walmart for CDs, <laughs> uh, you know, but it it was like I didn't know him and I had to go down after Pat Metheny and Scott Henderson started talking so much shit about him. I had to like check out his music. First thing for Pat Metheny to talk shit about him is so I, it's just. Pure, it's just jealousy, you know, because Kenny yeah. G sold 50 million records and Pat Metheny yeah. sold 25 million records. Yeah, so he yeah. hates so, him. Like, that's so basically what it is. talk about anybody who's bad, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. obviously a special kind of bad. And he did it after, like, you know. But the melodies he writes have nothing to do with jazz. You know what I mean? It's, it's really coming from that, like, like, like I took some ayahuasca kind of... Like, <laughs> And like my my cat feels super smooth. <laughs> That's like, he's, a, yeah, he's, like Ed Sheeran, yeah. he's the Ed Sheeran of jazz. It's not even that. It's kind of like uh like like Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, vibe. I don't yeah. Know, like wholesome. Uh, like yeah. it's it's weird. Like it reminds me of like empowerment yep. tapes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so it's cool. like a relaxation tape. Is what it is. I mean, yeah, like, or yoga or something. Yeah, it's, it has yeah. Like, but just like kind of with electric sound, but it's not even like the other smooth jazz guys. It has like zero blues in it. it if anything, it's like Pat Metheny. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it really it, sounds like. I, I mean, I'm a fan of his music, but like even I kind of sometimes I feel like it's 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 music on Prozac. Like it's oh. very like even toned and you know. Metheny group, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, like you, you gotta. I always like when some songs come on. I'm like ma- looking, making sure that I'm alone. Like you know what I yeah. mean? Like, long yeah, it's not Snowfield. Let's put it that way. I, I yeah. don't want like I love it, but I don't want people to know that necessarily with every man. What was like, so when I when I was growing up, um, there was a there was a whole you know shift. Rock and roll, blues, and stuff like that. I mean, Jim's favorite band is the Carpenters. That's where we're going with this. No, I'm not. So anyway, I'm not going there. <laughs> but they are. They were. They had a lot of musical stuff. We could talk about that all day. But anyway, the the, um, the point is that that when the um, when the shift was being made, one of the things that I noted was every time a band got huge, whether it was whether it was Pink Floyd or it was um, whoever, all of a sudden, oh, they're sellouts. They suck. You know, uh, they're selling a bunch of records. Now they suck. And and there's always that point, that tipping point, like you're talking about, where there is that jealousy thing, like you were saying, where yeah. where suddenly um, Journey, which was a, they were a... Um, they were kind like, of a fusion band at one point. Yeah, they were a fusion band. And then all of a sudden I, they had... I heard people say that. And then I listened. 
Sure. It's not, Vocals. yeah, not the same thing. Yeah, but then, <laughs> then they became, then they had vocals, they became a whole pop band, yeah. you know, and everybody was like, ah, oh, they, they, you know, Foreigner was the same way, you know, they were, oh, they're, they were, but to, speaking of jazz type stuff, so there was this guy, Chuck Mangione, did you ever hear any yeah, of Yeah, Mangione, right. Yeah, so Chuck Mangione, he was a, he was a trumpet player, um, and his, he had some really, really killer stuff. And then he put out a song, da, 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 And all of a sudden you're like, oh, Ooh. shit. Yes. <laughs> and that's what made him famous, though, uh. is this song. I can't even remember what it's actually called, but it, it's because it's instrumental. But um, that's what that's what did it. And so all this all this really cool, funky stuff is going on. And that. It's easy listening crap. <laughs> how, how many hoops are we jumping around to not call music gay? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that, that, that's taking it back to the 90s, my friend. Um, no, so. Yeah, you don't like it. It sounds. We're gay. not talking. We're not saying in a homosexual way. It actually right. sounds gay. Like, yeah, like, like happy. Like. like like you exactly yeah. it's, so, like, it's so happy that it makes you feel weird yeah, yeah. and gay yeah. you know winning and gay. Yeah. like that yeah <laughs> well that's just it see they um, people are taking the word out of context we're talking yeah. about yes so happy it's bubble gum yeah like it's it's j-pop kind of j-pop yeah. j-pop k-pop yeah yeah <laughs> it's a movement that seeks out uh gay people for misusing the word gay and that's right. our way, yeah, our taking, way of describing the music. Take away our did. words. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> I'm trying to rescue this conversation. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Um, so the, he's talking about the sellout thing, and like I had a thought about this, and and honestly, in, in our music. We're just looking for a buyout. Right. It's like sellout. <laughs> I'd love to, you know, like, uh, you know. Um, yeah. No, I, I do see how you can write some. I, I'll tell you this. I think the, the one of the trickiest things to talk about in music is the relationship between quality and success. Right. Right. Because right? those two things have a very complex relationship. Not a, and not one that's easily described. So. You can do something of quality, but the things of zero quality always have a success rate that's unparalleled. Right? Yeah. So the most quality stuff happening right now and the least quality stuff happening right like you know, Justin Bieber and some yeah. people like doing some deep things. Like it, it's not correlated at all. No. But I think what you like the real to understand that relationship, there's like the two concepts you need to understand is the concept of ethics and the concept of pragmatism, right? right? So to be pragmatic is to understand how things play out in the world that we all live in. When you That's do it, what's coming, what comes back to you? To be ethical is to understand the difference between good and bad. Right. I right. think being purely ethical or being purely pragmatic is a mistake. Right. You so got to be somewhere in the middle. That leads what think of a pure a pragmatist and a Martian lands down and he needs okay you need to start a successful band. It's like oh okay what does the most what do the most successful people do? I'm gonna study that right and yeah. that's that's how you you're entering the market being like okay Justin Bieber I don't even know if you like uh, that 18 year old that won all the Grammys. Uh, oh, Billie Eilish. 
Billie yeah, Eilish, yeah. you know, like whatever. You study them like they're Bach, you know, and yeah. then you you somehow and then you ask yourself, okay, how do I get this music? People marketing, 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 and then you just become a piece of shit because that's that's the surefire way to just make shitty quality stuff. If it's a restaurant, you just basically made McDonald's too, and then learned how to market McDonald's, right? And yeah. being purely ethical leads you into this elitist ivory tower thing too so if you're just right, like, yeah. the best and the best of the best and i don't care what people think and then you just kind of submerge deeper and deeper into yourself and you, it's basically about what a psychopath is mm -hmm, right. right it's the two the two, it's two like, one of them is a, yeah so it's like one of them is being only kind of looking at what other people like and one of them is looking only what you like where other people don't exist yep. a balance between the two is always necessary so i think what we do Right, and, and I think a lot of people in jazz do that, especially all the ones that are successful. Is they ask, they they have a core that's ethical. They ask themselves, "What do I like to play? What is good music?" And then they're very pragmatic with how they go about their career. Right, right. But they don't change the music. I think a guy like John Mayer does exactly the opposite. Exactly. He asks himself, what is a pop song? And now he has uh, he has a pragmatic core. He's not going to break those principles, but then he has an ethical way of growing that. Asking like, okay, so how do yeah, I make he the makes best quality pop songs, right? Exactly. Right. And how do I have the best career around that? So it's the the question is what's at the center and what's kind of growing the exterior. So it's either a balance between that and that, or the other way. Right. All right. All right. So now we've talked we've talked about the philosophy of music and theory and all this. We talk about theory on this show a lot, actually. Um, some of the other guitar podcasts that are around. Um, I haven't heard too many that are like, they will talk about theory for like an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we've done that before. Uh, but what I want to talk about, cause, cause a lot of our listeners are probably asking this question, like, where's the gear talk this episode? Um, I want to okay. talk about the guitars you use. Cause sure. I, I was talking to you before the show about it. So you use sir guitars. I see sirs in your hands. What is yeah. it about sir guitars that you like? Um, well, they have very, they're basically, they feel like uh, the kind of guitars that I grew up with, which are metal guitars, you mm -hmm. know, very flat necks, big frets, uh, right. but they sound like strats. They actually pull it off and they sound just like a strat, not kind of like a strat. And also they're very, they're, the, the tune, I, I, I'm, I'm heavy on the whammy bar and I, mine is set to float kind of like in the Jeff Beck way. Right. So a guitar that doesn't have, you know, that's not built well, especially like the headstock of it. Uh, will always go out of tune on me, and the tuning yep. stability is pretty great. And then also the intonation is good. So I'm playing a lot of extensions, meaning chords that have a lot of intervals in them that will start shaking in a very strange way, especially when you're comping for a saxophone and you're just playing in kind of, uh, you know, there's no piano player to support the chords. So I need, to, I need an instrument that's really accurate. And, you know, they're all plucked out. Mm -hmm. and uh, made for for extreme accuracy and i think there's a there's a bunch of guitars that are like that those are uh just the most comfortable ones uh and and good sounding ones that i've, that I've played and i've been with them for for a few years now since 2015 mm -hmm. so you're so you're are you an are you an endorsed artist with him I am, okay, yeah. okay cool um i'm not like so they have like like two tiers of endorsement and I'm not at that top tier. They, yeah. they basically have, uh, you know, you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm confident you know. you'll get there. 
Um, yeah. It just, just, uh, Pete Thorne. I want to, I want to yeah, touch on some of the, they kind of have one of every style, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like when there's that little black book of like, they have like the, like, you know, country guy, like their fusion guy. So it's yeah, Scott guy. Henderson, right? He's yeah. a, he's a sure yeah. guy. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, so I'll write him an, I'll write him an email for you. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, well, Scott, Scott yeah. uses, Scott uses their guitars and their amps, right? Um, I use their amps yeah, too, yeah. You do too. Yeah. Um, which yeah. by the way, that that's another thing that we didn't even talk about before the show that I, I want to touch on too. Um, so you're, uh, you're kind of like right up my alley. Everybody knows that everybody listens to the show regularly knows I'm a strat player um, to the core. Right. But then I also have my seven string Kiesel thing that I've been using a lot lately. And that's kind of like changing my perspective on the instrument. But, but two things you touched on uh, three things, actually. Yeah. Number one is the flat fretboard. Like that's another huge thing for me. Um, I'm a stainless steel fret guy through and through. I don't want to use nickel frets anymore. I'm just tired of guitars changing over the lifetime. I own the instrument. And then the other, uh, the other thing, the other component of what you were you were talking about was the intonation. So this is something that, like, we were talking about before the show. I had never really like thought about it in this perspective because I know intonation is obviously adjustable. But I've had a couple of guitars over the years where, if you were playing chords at the twelfth fret or the fourteenth fret, which like most people don't do that, but if you were doing it, you'd wonder why it sounded slightly off. And it was intonated like your your open note and your 12th fret note doesn't, you know, they sound right. But there's just something <laughs> like slightly off about certain chords, especially in certain positions on the guitar. And I always thought that like the, the Irvana compensated nut or something like that would assist with that, because I know obviously there's scale length issues and things like that with different strings and all that. But uh, you're hitting on something really interesting, which is that. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm really not a luthier or an engineer or or like somebody who un I only understand you know the physics of the guitar yeah, like what you and what you hear I mean that's so need to put it in tune and play chords and have those chords sound and sound like be useful mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I can't have too many areas of every guitar is going to be got to have its uh inaccuracies but I can't have like you know these whole areas of the guitar that I can't play well, I, you know what I mean? That sounds sure, sure, and it, we've all experienced guitars with dead spots too, and that's that's a whole other thing. But in your in your uh, to your defense, like with what you said, so even if you take a fret, right, it's a round object that has a point where the string actually touches it, and then past that point, the string's going to vibrate. If that point, so we all think about, oh, the uh, you know the distance between the frets is important, and that's true. But it's not just the distance in the frets; it's how they're crowned. If the crown is slightly like to the left. Versus the right and a, and a your right hand player, right? Like so, then it would change the the scale length of that note, and you would have a, something out of tune. So if they're using a plec, like that's obviously going to help that process because it's laser guided. I mean, and they're in, and, and they know what they're doing. They know what they're going for. I mean, it's. I think there's a lot of companies that make accurate instruments now, but like if you pick up a Fender off the rack, that's not like a custom shop or anything. The chances are, it's not going to be that like like laser you know? yeah 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 that's why if you if you find a good one that's the one you should buy don't let them get you one out of the box tell them no i want that one right there right and also i mean i don't know you can't know anything in the store you know what i mean it's uh you can't know anything outside of your context and you shouldn't build your context around your gear what i, I mean i had uh I had a free, like, I had this 
experience where I went in the store and I played a Friedman head, like a B100. I was bought one. And I loved it. I thought it was the best sounding shit, like since sliced bread. I was just like playing and like the gain was perfect. And I bought one and I took it to the gig and I put it there and it was the worst thing for our music. Like I was, I was, I didn't even exist. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you're, you're, you're a strap player with single coils. And I looked at uh, BE and I looked at a pink taco and I looked at one of the other, one of their other amps, the runt. And what I found was that on the low strings, if you go to like a, if you hit like a low G, the amps would rattle like super hard. Um, and one of them that I was playing had bad tubes in it because it was rattling so hard that like you could hear the, all this static coming out of the amp. It was really sounded like a, like you know like a hot rotted Marshall, but it was just the wrong again in the guitar store. It sounded like it was the shit. You know, right? I was like, and, and it, I was just shredding on its own. On its own, it might. And you put it in a band context, it's like, oh hell, hell. It's not a band context. It's your band. That's what people can't get through their head. Your drummer yes. plays a certain way. He plays with certain symbols. Your bassist plays with a certain amp. I'm playing with a saxophone player. You're in charge of a specific frequency yeah. range in a context, and your context is the context for you. So, and if you don't have a context, what the fuck are you doing thinking about gear? Go get a context. Yeah, you know what I mean. And learn how to make it good. I'm, it's complicated. I, I'm. That's that's the truth. I'm just so a lot that's of times. Meant, but... the right, right symbol matters more for your tone than your amp. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like if if that part sounds weird, maybe it's not your tone. Yeah. Maybe maybe somebody's comping wrong, right? Maybe the bass sound is off. I you gotta like just contact, take in the full thing, right, 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 and frequency that you need. Well, we were talking about um recently. We were talking about that me me and somebody one of our listeners on the side in a, in a Facebook message thing, and I was saying like. Look, when I go into it, when I go in and play with, because I play, I'm playing with tracks right now. Like I do all my tracks and and Cubase and drop them into a looper and then take it out to the open mic and plug it in. Um, and I, the context of that is like I have better control over the frequency ranges I need to deal with, so I can set up tones that are like a little bit more exotic than what I would do if I was just going to go to a normal open mic where I know that I know there's going to be a drummer and they're going to have a basic drum kit that you know sort of sounds like this and I. I I think I actually think that uh, that fractal and X effect and all that digital shit is literally meant for playing with tracks. Huh? If you can if shrink your sound to be a part of a digital sound of, of a digital orchestra, mm-hmm. that's the appropriate. You would never get like if you're playing a plexi with tracks, you will always have way too much of the wrong kind of mid range to actually fit in unless you're compressing the shit out of it in the studio. Yeah. Or, right? or, or you're, you know, you've got it like th- with, with some sort of like thing that keeps the volume down so that you can do it all with the PA. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, you have to shrink the, your post you're going to have to hell shrink it. it. Right. You're going to shrink it digitally to fit. Right. Because, because you're not playing with something real. So you need you like real in the sense that it's not pushing air out of speakers and out of drums. Well, it's funny you bring that up because behind me, right behind me is my my uh, Kemper it's in a it's in yeah. a road case like back behind me um sure. and that's what I take to open mics and and there's a reason for it partially partially it's convenience right but I had the I had the the helix before and we're going to touch on your amps next so just hang tight I had the helix before and I didn't like it because it was yeah. way too focused you know what I mean like it was super tight um 
the fractals I've tried also seem to be similar, like the, in that that they have like a very narrow frequency range in the way that the the cabinet models are set up and stuff. The um the reason I bought the uh, Kemper and went and went the Kemper route was because I felt that when I plug it into my real cab, I get probably ninety five percent of what I get with the amp I profiled with it. You know what I mean? Like so, I in fact I have a I, I use my Mark V profiles a lot because um, I I have a Mark V twenty five that's my my main amp, um, and I feel like I can get those Mark V twenty five sounds at a lower volume, and that's the only reason yeah. I'm using it. I mean, more power to you, but it's like if it depends on the it depends on the game you play. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, like, I'm all me, over the place. Like I play clean, yeah, nasty. Well, no, no, but not, not in terms of like your your tonal settings. In terms of like your context, like if your context sure. is tracked, then it's like it's like you can't like even though you know checkers and backgammon use similar pieces, the rules don't apply. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's like that coveted Marshall tone in the context of really digital music, you know, and tracks. It's not. It's not the Marshall tone. It's something. It's the profile of the Marshall. Yeah. You know. Well, you don't. And, and, uh, you don't even necessarily need that because, like, you can be like you said. You can be super specific to what you're doing. And when you go to an open mic, I I know a lot of guys who still take like conventional amplification to to open mics, and it's like I've seen a lot of faux pas there too because, you know, the the context of who you end up playing with if you play in like an open jam type situation, you don't really know what frequency ranges are going to be available to you like the other night well that that so chaotic there's no control right right it's like it's not it's like it's hard to talk about because it's just a room where people just you know a lot of people just unload their psychological issues on a group of like <laughs> 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 i know i use you know, mine. Like, <laughs> oh my god I, like a lot of people want to regulate Regulate like gun control and shit. I I want to regulate amp control, dude. Like, <laughs> not sell a hundred watt to somebody who's going to uh, an open mic. They're gonna use it. Yeah. And I was just like, ah, like, it's like, go, like seven. I just, it's like, dude, what what the fuck are you talking it's about? True. Seven. It's so yeah, it, it is though. It is though. One. I don't know oh how many how many of these situations. Great power comes great responsibility. That, that's Spider-Man's uncle. I don't know. How many, <laughs> I don't know how many. Listen to that I don't know how many situations I've been to, like jam situations, where you show up and there's like a hot rod deluxe there, and I'm sitting there going, like, "Who are we playing for?" Like, I yeah. it's just kind of like, "Wait a minute, what?" Like, that's like the loudest amp you could possibly have for this there's, venue. There is. A point where you need where things do become sensible. Like you can't play with like that size speaker if you're playing with a drum set. Here's a, here's an anecdote that you might like that I talked to um, Gary Husband, the drummer that played with Alan Holdsworth, and he said he said that in the seventies all the drummers were playing bebop hits. There was no such thing as jazz drummers playing rock hits. Right. They started playing fusion, and the guitarists kind of un, in, in an uncoordinated way made the drummers switch to bigger drums. So so from a bebop kit to a rocket, Gary Husband playing with Alan Holtzworth did that, right? But at the same time, Billy Cobham, right, yeah. did that with Mav, you know, because of John McLaughlin mm -hmm. and and also in Return to Forever, right? That happened yep. because of Demiola. And what happened? Think about the wavelength, right? People started playing 412 cabs, right? And they were just moving a certain amount of air and to make sense acoustically you needed drums that could push to move similar amounts of air, right. amount of air 
So if you're in a rehearsal space and you have a medium-sized drum set and a Fender Twin or Deluxe, it makes sense. Right. That's right. what it's moving. You shouldn't play too loud, but you should have equivalent the speaker size and the drum size should be somehow in the ballpark. The problem is now it's like this situation that's just chaotic. There's too much gear of all variety. Some people playing digital, electric drums, some, you know, some person like with like a PA that's broken and like somebody comes with a tiny amp and it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I got it. I got to say, so uh, we had, are, are, you know, the Yamaha THR series, like the little, the little bitty like desktop yeah. amps, right? A lot of using, people are using it for like home practice, like I think. Um, dude, dude brought his THR and he, and he mic'd it up and it sounded freaking awesome. I was like, what the hell? I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this sounds great. But he was playing with tracks. So, yeah. As soon as he plays next to me and I'm just playing, I got my pedal board with the direct out and uh, a cabinet emulated direct out. And he's playing next to me and his tone starts to disappear in the mix. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course. Um, I mean, I, I mean, of course it's just, it's just, it makes sense. You if you're talking about smaller amounts of air moving. I mean, that's that speaker, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, so it's, it really, really does not take a, a rocket science. So what are you, so what are you using from sir? You got a custom audio electronics or, or something? Custom audio electronics, OD 100, the old ones um, uh, that I've been for many years. So what are the are those loosely based on anything or are they Yeah, one channel of them is, is loosely based on a plexi and one channel is loosely based on a twin. Okay. So what do you 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 favor the plexi side, I'm assuming, based on your I, I really I really use the channel switch. Okay, so you use both a lot. So I use both. And uh, I use I use the clean side for playing chords and comping and I use the dirty sand for soloing. And I do uh, you, you know that show uh the rig doctor? Uh, I've heard uh, of it. Yeah, yeah, I probably Vertex watched effects. it. Yeah, Vertex Effects. Yes. Yeah, Vertex. Yeah, effects, yeah. So I've been watching I was, that recently. Yeah, so I, I was. My rig was the last, the last episode of the rig. I rig. saw that. Oh, I yeah. saw that episode. Yeah. I knew I knew your face from somebody. Now we need to go back. Yeah. All right. I yeah. saw that episode because they built you a board, right? The rig doctor. Badass and board. So me and Mason are good buddies, and uh, he came out to Chicago. He flew. He flew here. He's from San Francisco. Yep. Uh, that's the guy who has. And I, I'm a heavy user of Vertex Effects. They make the best fucking shit. I mean, I don't care. The internet will tell you a bunch of things. They're like, I've. Okay, Robin I, Ford I, uses I, some of their shit, so that's all you have yeah, to say. Yeah, uses the boost. I use the boost too, dude. It's uh, but man, my my main go-to there's the steel string and uh, which I use now a lot, and then there's the ultraphonics, which is just my lead. Song. All right, David, it's I gotta I gotta find you that link. We gotta. Uh, I, I'll, I'll I gotta it. tell you right now yeah, that um, while we're talking, his so the most of the episode is them putting his board together, right? Because the yeah, guy from because um, it's the guy from uh, the 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 rug doctor, the rig doctor. Yeah, Mason. Um, Mason, and then the guy, the other guy that, that was from yeah, uh, Brad. Brad. He's from Bestronics. They put rigs together for like Disturbed and Brad Paisley and all these people. Yep. Uh, big, big company in Chicago. Really, really great we'll, company. We'll have but to, then, so. then at the end of it, they've got Danny jamming. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, I mean, it's like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just, I know, that was my experience alone. too. I was like, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so you did see it. Yeah, um, good. So it's uh, 
yeah, that board has an RJM switcher on it. Okay, yep. mastermind. Uh, a mastermind, and what I don't even know what I have. Let's see, I have I have basically the whole line that Mason made. I have the Nile compressor, uh, which I use sparingly, but I do use it. It gives you like a Derek Truxy kind of thing. Very cool. So it's a compressor on one side of it, and then a Neve preamp on the other, going into each other. And uh, it's really nice. Uh, I have a T drive, which is the train rack. Yeah, I was going to ask that, about that because I'm into train racks. So That's kind of my thing. Uh, wells it up like it sounds like ACDC, like huge. Um, then I have the Ultraphonics, the Steel String, the Boost. Uh, the best, uh, I have a, an FRV1 reverb in front of the amp. And then I have an RV7 in the effects loop. Uh, I have a Nova delay in the effects group as well. I got rid of all my Strymon stuff. Mason proved to me that that yeah. ruining uh, your. I couldn't believe it because I'm such a monkey. I you noticed know? that I, on your on your um, thing on your board. I was, you know, for years I've been using Strymon just because, you know, it's like just guitarist monkey brain, just like boss bad Strymon good. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally the process. Some of the, like, some of the boss just, stuff just slays it now. And I, I, I've been saying that on the show for a while. So if you get it modded, it's fine. You know, but it's it, great, not fine, especially if you have a switcher that's true by the But, anyways, the Strymon stuff, I just never thought to test it to like go in the pedal on bypass and then go straight in the amp and see if I hear a difference. You'll hear it. Jesus Christ. They say it's true. I don't know what they do. They have a fucking. They have something in they there. Split, they you know? split it. So what they do is they they have one process signal that always goes through and like comes out AB, and then they have another yeah. signal that is true bypass. But the thing is, you're still getting a blend of the two of them. Anyway, those I played like a thousand gigs with those strands. So those, I'm going to the company. Those motherfuckers owe me some tone back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking at your board. I'm, I'm only seeing the little thumbnail for the thing. I'm looking at your board right now. You've got a Nova a TC Nova delay, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, that, that shit, that shit. I think it's shit. awesome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's like 150 bucks. Yeah, you can find it for 100 bucks all day long used. Yeah. yeah, but that reverb, that's the real thing. That's the only, that's the only reverb pedal that Lexicon licensed, licensed the famous like PCM chip yep. into, uh, the RV7. I, I had one of those. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about getting a second one. It's a one sound pedal. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so that board, I mean, the one thing about it, the board I had before, I did together with solderless cable with like George L's and like yep. shit like that. Dude, when Mason like took took it took it apart, you know, and he showed me like how bad I did. <laughs> it's like amazing it made a sound. I mean, yeah. it's probably like yeah, it's like what I, I, I definitely built some shit. Like, feels like in a gynecological exam. Dude, dude. So that's the funny thing. Like, I got a story about that too. Um, so I'm a I'm a George Ells user. I'm still a George Ells user, and that's because like uh, I've been using them for years, and I know the ins and outs. And I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, you have to use soldered cable." And then and and like to your credit, that if you got a touring rig and you're gonna go out and do the same thing, you know, every night for for a year, like that totally makes sense. But if you're somebody like me who you know I'm swapping shit in and out all the time, like. You got to have something that you can do in a pinch and not have like $500 wrapped up in, you know, individual link cables that you're just going to swap it yeah. out. So um, a buddy of mine, he was putting together his first pedal board and we were doing we were doing a project together. And I'm like, all right, I'll show you how to do it. And like, I'll help you out. 
So I got him, you know, the stuff he needed to do with George Ellis. And he only had a couple of pedals to put on there anyway. But I just told him, I was like, here's what you do. You chop them, you know, flat so that they're, so that the ends aren't like tilted or anything. And I, you make sure you put the plug on there very solid. And then you turn it 90 degrees and then screw the thumb screw in until it is absolutely tight. And I said, I use a wrench to do it. Because if you don't do it right, like you're going to have all kinds of problems. Anyway, he brings well, it. I, I somehow didn't have problems at work, but it was just kind of like a mirror. Yeah. He took it up. Like, he was like, let's do the, like, it's just like pulling like the plugs. Well, that's what, that's where I'm going. So he comes back, right? He brings me his board. He's like, I can't get signal to pass. And I'm like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to check each individual cable, whether we're getting signal. And, and we start going through the thing and like, literally some of the cables, we were just like pulling them apart. I'm like, you didn't do it right. Yeah. Like you didn't try. We were took, taking them apart. I'm like, dude, this one, you took the shielding off. Like this one, you, you chopped it at an angle. Like this one, it looks like you cut it with scissors. You know, it's like, what are you doing, man? Um, yeah. So oddly yeah. enough, I cut mine with scissors, but I got a special pair of scissors to do it. But um, it's one of those, like, you don't learn it until you yeah. have to tour it kind of things. I, it's the first time I had a, I have a soldered board. Yeah. It's, Dead silent. Night and day, right? Dead, dead <clears throat> silent. And beyond that, the one thing that I notice is just the woodiness. I've no other way. That Stevie Ray varnish quality that is just the wood, that tiny bit of wood that you can get on a strap that goes away and doesn't come That's back. The lower mids are like 400 hertz. No, like, no it's, it's, not, it's not a bump. It's it's something tangible. It's like the way it's response. Yeah, it, de it definitely it, impacts how the amp feels against you too. I mean that's yeah. And also, I think you know what I think, and and this is uh, I think a lot of guitar players are going to resonate with this. If you don't get your shit together with your right hand on guitar, yes. <laughs> if you, you. Don't have your shit together, then you can't pick gear that suits you aesthetically. Because what you're looking for in gear is response, not tone. If you're chasing response, if you're chasing the feeling of how the note gets from the guitar to the amp, rather than the sound it makes, then you will never be happy because you will always go for an overly compressed sound over a good sounding sound. Right. And a lot of people that grew up playing line six pods yep. taught themselves how to play guitar in a way that has nothing to do with the acoustic phenomena of hitting a string. That's right. And that's right. I see. And, and it's Danny, I was watching it tonight myself because I, I, I work at Guitar Center and mm -hmm. I was listening to these kids playing on spiders. Okay. And it sounded like I, I told my wife on the phone, I said, it sounds like somebody playing at a, at a circus. Like like yeah. the, the the keyboards at the circus, you know what I'm talking about? But they're they're not real. It's like a Casio version of it, and it, and, and nothing nothing against the spine. I'm not trying to put people down. It's, it's what you got. That's what you got. But like you were talking about, there was no pick response. It was just yeah. It was just about. It, it literally sounded like a Super Mario Brothers note sure. coming through. Sure. Honor, honor. Yeah. Dude, I'm gonna start saying gate. I, yeah. I, I like. I don't. I've, for me, it's like, I mean, at that point, like, you know, what, what do you have, like, what do you have left of your touch? When, when, uh, when I, so, so I started off and, and I grew up 
right around the time the pot, you know, like when I got my first guitar was right around the time. That, that's how I learned. That's how, why I'm saying yeah. it. Yeah. I had to reteach how to play with my right hand. Right. Well, so I got, I, I, I got my, I had a pod XT and I had, I actually had a line six flex tone three XL. That was my main amp for like a super long time. It was, it was garbage, hot garbage. Um, <laughs> but I, I played it and, and dude, don't get me started. Cause I bought it when they were like 1200 bucks with the phone yeah. controller. And then when I sold it, I got like $175 for it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, and I sold it. I didn't trade it in either. That's the worst part. So, you know, like you can't even get people to take those. You, I mean, you have to beg yeah. them. Um, Okay, yeah, when I went to when I went to sell mine to a, a guitar place, when I did try to get out of my flexstone, you know what they said? I'm sorry, we just can't. We can't take that. those. Yeah, <laughs> I had to sell it outright. So um, anyway, I, I I grew up on all this stuff, and I got my first tube amp. Actually, the first job I had, I I went and I bought PD Classic Thirty. Now it's not a great mm -hmm. tube amp, you know. Like I know, um, they're okay. I think there's some mods you could do to them that make them a lot better. But anyway, I bought it, and like I hated it because I was like, "What the hell? Like this thing's so hard to play. Like I can't make it do what I want." And then I chased it for a couple of years. I I sold that. I got a hot rod. Actually, I traded it off for a hot rod deluxe with two Eminence Legend Tens in it, which was a great pedal mm -hmm. platform. But then again, I was using pedals, right? So I felt like it was just the same deal, right? It's just this like that I, I didn't get the same uh, the same dynamics and stuff that I was expecting to get. And then I sold that. And then I chased the, the dragon like all throughout when I was my kids were growing up and I had all these like small five watt tube amps and stuff. And then I got a Rivera R30. And that mm -hmm. amp, I knew it was supposed to be good. So when I didn't like it, I kicked my own ass until I did like it because I was like, yeah. there's no way in hell I, I bought a, you know, this boutique amp and it's crap. There's no way. And I sold it to uh, actually one of the listeners of our show um, who's who's actually a sponsor of our show now. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, he taunts me with it every once in a while. He'll send me a picture on, on, uh, on Facebook or whatever and be like, hey, I still have your amp. <laughs> and I'm like, I shouldn't have sold it. Like I should have kept it. Um, but it was th that the whole thing, like you kind of, I, I had to unlearn it and I had to violently unlearn it. It was, it was yeah. to the point where I was like, why is all the old guard interested in this other technology? And I mean, now I know, you know, and I had to force myself. There's so much mythology around how he gets his sound, you know, the six strings and all Just that turn stuff. Turn the amp all the way up. Yeah, but that's a part of the mythology. But it's like it's just literally the, the angle that you hit the string, yeah. like you know, that that what they call the rest stroke in gypsy jazz. Uh -huh. You know, it's just like the ability to just have your motion come from a place that just people don't play from in, in modern days and just get that spank, you know, playing single lines so and muting with your left hand. Yeah. And he, having your right hand. But he had one you know, hell of a mute. I mean when you when you listen to what he did, he sounds like he's slapping it when he means it. You watch him; his arm is coming from. I'm going to come from all the way up here. I'm going to come all the way down here, and all you're going to hear is whing. I mean, it's like right. how did you just hit one string? It's because this mute was so incredible. All that, but, but with rest stroke technique, I mean, that when the motion mechanics yeah. is a rotation of this bone, you go up in the air and you land exactly on the string you want to, and yep. you rest on the next one. Yeah, that's. That's how Diego Reinhardt plays, you know, that's how yeah. I play. But it's people just don't understand the mechanics of the motion, so they attribute it 
the other thing. It's always attributing things to gear, thinking I'm doing everything right. Let's just get the machinery that makes my that makes me not change my technique. Yeah. What happens? If you keep hunting the same kind of machines that give you the same kind of compression and the same kind of diffusion right. with reverb, right? With reverb and delay. People look for reverb and delay as a way of blurring right. what they're and looking, looking at compression and gain as a way of compressing it to where it comes out. Reverb and delay can do two things, especially if you're playing fast. Number one, like you said, it blurs the lines of your notes. And yeah. in the process, in the very same process and as a, as a secondary thing, it also blurs your rhythm. I was listening today about Brad Paisley and how he would, when he was younger, work on his rhythm. What he did was he would play his lines and record it. And then, like, you know how most people will play something slow and then um, speed, you know, slow it down and then go faster, faster? He did the opposite. He would play something at speed, then he would slow it down to see where he was missing. Yeah. And then he would improve his technique based on where he was missing. Not that he never played slow to learn, but you know what I mean? John Lane's kind of approach, too, you know, because yeah. he would always, Sean Lane would always say that the the it's very logical to to have a metronome and start slow and build up but the the only part is that's too logical is that you get from one kind of motion to another kind of motion and the motions aren't related not the same. it doesn't the same motion when you play something fast it's not that motion sped up it's a different motion it feels yes different. definitely it flows definitely different. so there's a way there's there's two logic there's the one of like developing accuracy back and forth up to a range. And then there's the one of just attempting and cleaning it up. Right. And the attempt, the trying and cleaning it up is really how you teach your body how to do something that it doesn't know how to do yet. And very reserved people are always unable to, to get to that very high level of technique, not because they can't move their body that fast, because they won't be willing to try something so sloppy they don't know how to relax their will jim that's why i'm so damn sloppy by the way so miserably right I, you know so if if you can just try it and see like you just say okay human fingers alan holdsworth or whoever ingvay's fingers can do this let's assume that we have the same kind of physiology right. so let's just throw puke on the fretboard in a way that looks like it right i know where the notes are just approximate and then like be like, okay, that's my attempt at it, but I don't have a second. That's that is what I have. Let's work with that. Let's clean up that. Let's put something physical on a fretboard and on strings. That's a starting point. Right. But if you're not willing to start where you start, you never start. If it, it, and you're contextualizing so much of what like my experience with guitar is here because when I learn something difficult that I can't do, like. I don't shy away from it. I I'm very much like I can't I I can't do this, but I've done enough stuff that I said I couldn't do that just by re repetition and like learning how you know how to how to how to do the right motions and stuff and, and getting the mechanics down. I can do it now. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. and it just because that's like second nature to me. And I know other people who when they can't do something, it's like they feel defeated and they back and they yeah. back off. The thing I always have told myself since I was a kid that it's impossible that I'm the least talented person to ever get this. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, dude, somebody out there with less talent 
and less ability. I can, I can, can point you to people. Yeah, but I said, it's like, even when I couldn't do something at all, I would always think that. Like, I know that there's some dumber motherfucker than me that can do this amazing thing. Yeah, right? exactly. There is a path to that. I just don't necessarily know what that is. But like, the thing that always kept running through my mind is that he has hands, I have hands. Jimi Hendrix has hands, Steve Ravana has hands. I, I see these hands. I can do something with them. I can figure something out. I can make, I can command them in some way that over time will become that thing, right? What that thing is. I have two thoughts on this. So first off, um, going back to the Sean Lane reference, right, where he talks about playing something slow versus playing something fast and the difference in mechanical motion that happens between the two of them, which I think what, really what that comment's about, you know. <laughs> and I, I've i had play, people come up to me and they go, because I, I play pretty fast, right? Like people come up to me and they go, how do you do that? And I tell them, I was like, it's got a lot more in common with tremolo picking when you go fast than it does when you play slowly. Like, right. I, I, and, and more often than not, I'm learning it by tremolo picking it and then learning to keep this hand up with it and syncing that way mm -hmm. rather than going the other way, which is when I play precisely, I sync, I play with this hand and this syncs up with that. So it's, it, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, who's, who's got the synchronization? If I go fast, right. it's going the other way. And I think that's like, uh, it's something that, that it's an observation I've made on my technique that I think is relevant to this conversation. Cause it's like, there really are two distinct, my brain operates in a different way when I'm, when I'm playing at a higher tempo versus when I'm playing at a slower tempo. So and I had yeah, one more thing. The other thing yeah. is, uh, you're talking about like, um, skill and, you know, getting better and realizing that, um, you know, there, that there's always going to be somebody out there that's less talented than you that can do what you're trying to do. That that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, and I totally agree with it. I also think that there's, uh, there's another opinion out there though. It's like people, uh, Steve Vai, for example, like he said this essentially that, uh, if you want to get good about something or good at something, focus on the things you do well and don't focus. And I think that's a whole different approach than what we're talking about, but it's like, focus on the things you do well and only do those things because that's how you're going to actually achieve something is like focusing on the things you do. Well, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I kind of see what I, he's saying. I, I, I think that that kind of approach leads you to do more of what you do, right? Which is, I would say, do what's interesting. I, yeah. I, I think that's kind of where yeah. I fit with that. But because because if if you do what you do well, but you're starting to get bored, and your musical world feels starts feeling narrow, there's like listen, there's there's one thing that I I. I a point that I return to is the distinction between awareness and consciousness. I don't mean to get too deep here, but awareness, if you look at the room you're in right now, there's all sorts of stuff in it, right? there. It, that's in your field, field of perception, all the guitars, whatever. But there's a lot of useless information that you're not inputting right now that as you draw your eyes upon, you notice that you could, right? Whatever is hanging on the walls, a million things about the molecular structure, the lights, the air, the, the people, right? The house, yeah. it, it's infinite, right? That's your realm of, of awareness. Consciousness is that little scoop of it, of this desert, the little pieces of sand that you pick up in your hand and examine real close out of that, out of that sphere of awareness. Once you've just, once you see that world of music in such a narrow lens that you don't know what to work on, it means that you're living in a very reduced world, mm -hmm. right? And what I'm saying about the Steve Vai thing, focusing on the things you're good at, that just means that like you picked up a few elements from this broad scope of awareness, you've worked them out, 
until you became conscious of them, whether that's terminal picking, a few modes, a few chord progressions, and now and then you, you act like that's the whole world. The thing is, occasionally you just need to drop that, take a big look at the big picture, take some other shit and re-examine just to make your own music richer and your own world more interesting. And you can't be afraid of that process because a lot of the stuff you will be good at. You just need to give it a chance, right? But it's like if this narrowing of the world just leads you to write the same song, play the same solo, and we, nobody can escape it. If you, just are, if you just keep refining this very limited amount of sand, you just go to nothing every time. And you just got to get a fresh scoop every When time. I was um, – yesterday, I spent a good two or three hours listening to some, some Vi stuff. And, and actually, I, I came to a couple of conclusions, some that are going to shock our listeners. But really that I don't like a lot of uh, his output, which, which is kind of surprising because I've, I've talked about it on the show like I really do. But I was listening to uh, – like fire garden and stuff i was like yeah i don't really like this record i'd rather just listen to passion and warfare um but i i laugh because he says just focus on what you're good at well that guy does everything well so what the heck like you think he yeah, really, you know what i mean like you think he just got up one day like that's bullshit he's just saying that because yeah. that's like an easy answer you know what i mean well i mean i think also that words are tricky in the sense that you Maybe you're misconstruing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And and it's uh, like the things you're good at. Maybe you're thinking about those in too narrow of terms, like a picking technique. Maybe he needs genre or something like that. You know what I mean? Maybe he's talking about something. I mean, it's not. Who knows what he's talking about? But you can take it in a way that's that's as wide as you're willing. Sure, and I'm known for I'm known for doing that. So I think yeah, and I think Vi is cerebral as he is. Yeah. He gets can, lost in his cerebralism yeah, for sure. He does. I mean, yeah, for sure. And I mean, he's probably the straightest, not you know, not stoned guy who um, definitely thinks way outside of a box. He proves you do not need to get spun out of your mind to, to think way out there. That's for sure. He, I mean, I don't. I, it doesn't make sure. me think any less of him. I'm just saying that, like, I think that that if you take that con that uh, concept of what he's applying and apply it to something super granular you're going to end up super granular like you're saying. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why I brought it up because I wanted to point out that like the the uh, approach and methodology we're discussing here is more all-encompassing. I, so sure. I, I want to talk briefly about some of the ways that the kids are coming up now learning. You're not allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, and this is a generalization. This is not a specification. There are a lot of kids that are doing great things and they're learning really well. I mean, but... There's a lot of kids when I see them, they they buy a guitar and it's like, you know, I say, hey, we, we have lessons and they're like, oh, I'm just going to learn from YouTube. And it's like, I'm thinking, you're not going to learn anything from YouTube, man. I mean, okay. yeah, yeah. You know? you know what I mean, though? I, I mean, I, I know what you mean. I think, I think that, you know, just like if you were to ask yourself, like, what the great debate of our era in music was. It probably was about um, maybe EDM versus real instruments. Right, sure. You know, sure. That, that like, and, and I, th- my prediction is that the next generation's big debate is going to be uh, about about computer computer composed music versus human composed sure. music. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that this generation of people is basic. It's it's almost like. Um, it's it's almost like they're trying 
to draw the information from the computer. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're trying, but, but but they're trying, to, but it's if they don't understand the attempt, what they're really trying to do is integrate the computer. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's they don't. It's that. It's like almost like I feel like a lot of people don't do a lot of practicing. They do mostly watching and thinking. They're practicing, like moving their fingers vaguely along with a lesson. Right. Right. But it's like so much of it is like even gamer kids are watching other people playing the game. Yeah. So. It's a lot of vicarious. And I never living, thought, but the one thing, yeah, I never thought that I would see a gamer watch a gamer. Yeah, but the one reading different in the way people are coming up uh, now and before is just, I think, that thing of laying in bed, closing your eyes, and listening to an album yep. to, to get the music. I don't think that that attention span really exists of like listening to a, a, a guitarist you like you know, Vi or something like beginning to end of the album and having an impression of an album or of a song deeply and kind of going and taking, like who sits there and listens lick by lick and learns it instead of go and jump on, there's literally a YouTube lesson I do it. for every song, Steve. I, when I play in the cover band thing, like that's the first thing I do is I go to YouTube and I want to see like how other people play the song. And I didn't yeah, mean I'm going to follow it, but I want to know how they do it. Well, I mean, but it does mean that you're going to follow it. It, it means that you're going to follow it subject, subconsciously, especially like if you, sure, sure. if you do something like learn Chuck Parker, you know, something from a different instrument on the guitar. A big part of transcribing is orchestrating on the guitar. Yeah. You're, you are coming up with a guitar arrangement yes. of a saxophone yes. thing. There's no place to play it on the guitar. It's something that happened on a different right. instrument. So a lot, you, you're, you're outsourcing a lot of the, a lot of the choice making process to external well, that, that's way that force, but that's the force that gets you good at guitar. Yeah. It's 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 being able to maybe see a major scale and decide where it goes and decide how to pick it. Right? It's like if you take other people's tab, take other people's decision making. What you're really doing is you're making yourself worse at making decisions. Being good at improvising is decision making. Right, and that's right. That, I'll give you a definition. To learn, especially jazz, to learn jazz improvisation is to learn, it's to learn the mechanic, the mechanics of choice making on circular harmony moving in time. Interesting. If you're not learning choice making, if you're take, if you're outsourcing the choice making part, you'll never get good. You know, this, you can't. This this goes to, there's a book I'm listening to right now. It's called The Culture of Narcissism in Society. And what's funny is, the uh, this culture of narcissism book was built was actually written in the seventies, and you could literally take this book and apply it to what's going on now. I mean, Trump didn't even I mean he existed, but he wasn't anything but a hotel magnet at the time. He didn't have a TV show. He didn't have anything. So you look at um, <clears throat> one of the things that they talked about was how women. We're using books to learn how to become mothers and how Mm -hmm. ridiculous that sounds when you say it out loud, right? Because that is something that a woman is born to do, right? She is born Mm -hmm. with, with the physical parts. She is also born with the nurturing that that comes along with it. Yet they're reading books. Let me, let me finish reading books on how to become a mother because society has decided to become a good mother. You have to do these things. These are the rules you have to live by. And it's exactly what you were just pointing out is 
to be a good jazz musician, these are the these are the only bl- building blocks you need. You don't. It's a balance. Yes, because I mean, again, there is there is something about standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Right. Like 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 Einstein said, it's like you know, you gotta you gotta really be at the spearhead of tradition. Right. You gotta take the intelligence that your culture put forth and realize your place in some sort of long lineage. Right. That's true. But with that, you can't have at a certain point, especially when you're starting to become a, a musician, not just a student, you can't have everything spoon fed right. to you. Like a lot of how you get good is how you process the world. You gotta trust yourself to understand the music you hear enough right. Put it together on the guitar and think about you just gotta think. You gotta use your practice time for practice, right? What does it mean to practice? You know, what does it mean to learn? And um, you know, I th- I think that that's a lot of people now have a real problem with they where they, they're not quite sure what learning means, right? So and, and also the difference between learning and study, right? right? You learn a skill and you study something in the world sure. right you studying is observing right listening to a song is like literal it's a study you just you're waiting for the universe to open to you and you're picking out things that you notice and the thing is about growing every time you look at a even a simple song a zeppelin song every every decade you're going to see a completely different set of information and it it updates itself as you become more aware of the world if you have no awareness of what frequency and mixing is you're not going to hear the mix. If you have no idea about harmony, you're not going to hear the notes, right? And the relationships of the chords, you wouldn't know what chords are, mm-hmm. right? So every set of, like, every time you update the the OS, ment- right? It's like oh, mentally, then you're going to see a different picture in front of you, and you got to have to be, you got to have to draw useful information out of it to it. Right. You change your perception. It's kind of like going back right. and reading a book you read, you loved as a child or going back and seeing a movie you loved. It is, uh, it, it becomes a different right. movie. Yeah. You see it from a different perspective. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to say about this. Uh, well, I mean, and I agree with, I agree with the, uh, the contextualization thing where you have to, you know, make your own decisions about what you're doing and stuff. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to approach it, I, only from the perspective of you get to make the decision on whether or not you want to learn it that way. So, like, uh, I think there's more wrong ways than right ways. I think there's, I think there's, like, it's just like music. There's always in like billions of of good things you could do at a moment, and infinity of bad. Well, I would. So it's easier to do to make a bad decision than a good decision you can't navigate this space randomly you got to be sure you you, and 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 even when i enter into the approach of hey i gotta learn this song for this gig because if i don't get it and i'm not talking about i want to be very specific i'm not talking about like improvised jazz music okay i'm talking about like top 40 pop covers where you go into the into the the context of if the audience knows you fucked up like it's gonna be real obvious or you've had people come up yeah. to you and say you're playing it wrong. Like that's right. that's a whole other thing. And I think that's a lot of that's driven by today's culture, which is a big part of you know, this 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 mass of like, I'm not afraid to tell you I don't like what you did, kind of kind of thing that goes on today. And the fact that people aren't <laughs> willing to say, fuck it, I just don't care anymore. Like I don't care what you think. Like that's that's a big part of of um the like at least the communities I participate in out here, which is that 
if I'm if I'm going to do the top 40 covers thing and I decide I'm going to do it my way, you'll get kicked out of the band. I mean, it's like it's like that kind of thing. Um, and it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's like good for you to do that. But if you want to have work, I mean, you got to kind of consider both both options and and try to toe the line. So to get us coming back to that whole well, like, I mean, where you meet in the middle somewhere. I, I would say that like if you're in a top forty band and you're playing some weird shit and you get fired, then you had it coming, <laughs> you know, because that's because you're because you're playing weird shit in the context and you can't expect the world to change because you don't right. like it. Right, but if you have built an audience not for top forty, but for you playing weird top forty, then you won't kick that because exactly. that's, that's you're in the wrong place. Start selling Sprite and Coca Cola cans, even though Sprite is delicious and Coca Cola is delicious. People that come to buy one thing want to see that. Right. Yeah, you're. It's like you know? you're in the wrong place. Like I yeah. found, I found beer in the soft drink aisle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you right. know what I mean. Right. So I mean, I, I would say. Listen, I'm not angry at the world for being the world. The world is the world sucks in a lot of ways, but our job isn't to make a new world, it's to understand how this one operates and then make ourselves as effective as we can be in it. That's how I see it. Right? With staying ethical and staying true to what you like. You have there is a place for like subjectively, you know, you you and your absolute subjectivity. It's the practice room. That's that's the place to ask yourself what kind of playing you like the most and mechanically engineer yourself to become that right. over time but then how that meets the world that's going to be a traumatizing event in anybody's life because the world sucks you know what i mean it's like you're going to meet something that's worse than people telling you that right it's bad if you're in a place or telling you that it's bad you're already in a friendly place because they have some sort of reaction right. to you the the real enemy when you start touring and doing that stuff is indifference most people won't tell you yeah. anything about you they won't listen they won't engage that's i'm, glad you, I'm right? glad you you brought it around to that because that's like a big part of it is that if they, hey they at least engage enough to tell you hey you're doing it wrong like yeah that's an emotional yeah response. i mean you're you're, you're not you're yeah. not wrong um in in with regard to you know like um the online learning component of you know people not interacting i think there's a big social component of music that people miss in terms of like how you interact with someone else and if you're reacting to, even if you're just jamming along the backing tracks, which is something I do to practice sometimes, it, it, you're still missing the fact that when you're jamming with a group of people, like what you do comes back to you tenfold. In other words, when I do something, they react. And it's about learning yeah. how to control that interaction. And a big part of music is that, and we lose that. So this is the same thing. I go out and play tracks and I freaking hate it. But I also mm -hmm. know that I can't go into the situations that I'm playing in my, my music without a band because if i did then it would be a right. whole other experience so for me i have to do tracks like i'm not going to come into a to an, an open mic and say hey this is you know four bars of five four a bar of seven eight and and a bar of four four yeah. like because that's some of my music's like that and there's no way in hell you're going to find it you know a, a, a drummer that's just going to like drop of a hat and be like oh yeah you know that you've never met before sure. you've never played the tune with them before kind of thing sure 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 but i, I think for you specifically, the place, the situation you keep measuring things against is a messed up situation. It's that's like a, like an open mic and like a jam session is a chaotic situation in its nature. And that shouldn't be your litmus test for music. Like the litmus test, the litmus test for, for music should be a band 
that's well rehearsed, where everybody's on the same page and, tr- and have a shared, at least, will to work out music, right? I mean, I understand that your pragmatic situation right now is going through these things and you have to do tracks because nobody's going to be able to play these things on the fly. But that's just not an idea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like my goal for this year is to put together a band of people that are like on the same wavelength as me. Right, right, right. But like you like I I think that you're investing a lot of energy in trying to solve an unsolvable thing. Sometimes you to get an, to an extent, a problem that's I, I have no social connection to music in my area, so this is a way for me to get out in front of people, and that's like uh, for me to interact sure. with other people and meet other musicians. So that's why I'm doing it. Like, and I know that going into it, so I don't put a whole lot of effort into putting it, putting together these backing tracks and stuff. It's just, it's you know, a lot of it's drag and drop and and play with a keyboard <laughs> real quick, but it's just yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like. You know, that it's simple to meet, especially nowadays. I mean, it's, it's actually crazy. I have had, you I have, have had shit luck with Facebook and meeting musicians. Oh, just absolutely. There's an amazing, there's an amazing uh, method if you want to know the secret of how to, how to get a band together, meet all the best me, musicians. Me and you were going to talk and, after the show. And, 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 oh, all right. I love for everybody. It, it, it's foolproof. And that's really how 100% of the bands you like are doing it. Any guesses? Go for it. Pay them money. That's what. That's why they made money. Mm-hmm. It's your music. Pay the people. Pay them market prices. Not a lot. It's you're not gonna go broke. You're gonna be one of the only people in your area that does it, and you will pay them for rehearsals, and then you'll pay them for shows, and they will work for you, and they will do what you tell them, and if they don't, you'll fire. Yeah. And that's kind of what what I've been thinking too is like, if I and this part. It's so insane to think that you should pay pay the people to do your music, right? The basis. Well, and, and and while I agree with you, um, I want them to contribute to it, like and and come up with you know their own stamp on it as well, and so that becomes a little bit of a tougher then, proposition because then you're participating in. I don't think so. I think an effective make it an effect like a. It needs to be like the the way a kingdom is run, not the way a democracy mm-hmm. is run. Right? About. It's like you, uh, the people, you know, the people that work for that work for you. If you pay them and treat them with respect, will do a good job. And if their job is creative, they'll do a good creative job. But pay yeah. them, and then they're gonna want to be there. They're not gonna feel like they're wasting their life doing something. I mean, we pay our musicians to do our music. Me and Danny write for the sure. music. And they don't like the music and they understand it, but they're still make, trying to make it the best for it can sure. be. It's like, but it's unthinkable now. I'm sure it didn't even, no. like it, most people, it doesn't cross their mind to actually keep a band together with money. That's why they made yeah. money, to buy people's yeah, time. And, well, actually, th- this, this had occurred to me and it was like one of those things where it's, you know, I haven't met the right people to pay. I mean, that, and, and that's a big part of it. So pay some, pay who close, and then fire them when you meet the next one. <laughs> like here's, pay the best one who's close to your house. <laughs> I didn't like it, it. You know? And then, and then talk to him like an employee. Be like, hey, work is Thursday at 7. Yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, no, Thursday at 7 is no good. Be like, oh, I'm firing you. And then you call them and be like, work is Thursday at 7. Are you going to show up prepared? And then 
They show up drunk and they're like, oh, you're fired too. I'm not paying you for this. You can't show up for work I, drunk. You know what? Right? Actually, this is absolutely the, the like eye-opening to think of it that way. Because I even though I had thought about like hiring people and then giving them, you know, cuts of different pieces of the pie, right? Obviously. I'm treating them like your friends. Yeah. They're your employees. employees. That's I mean, it's a big part yeah. of it. Yeah, and, they, and they'll love you for I, it. Well, Dude. yeah, because it's consistent. All bullshit. they have to do is follow the rules and they get paid. Right? Yeah. Play well, come prepared, go home with more money than you had before, and you play music mm -hmm. too. Like if you just have this attitude of like, like just like, it's not professionalism, it's just seriousness. Just be serious about your music, pay people, figure out ways to take, if you think it, you can make money with it, you know, go book some gigs, pay them for the gigs, you're going to lose money initially, but eventually, you know, maybe you'll yeah, learn something. turn it around and, and it'll be a profitable business. Yeah. And then they're not going to want to fuck up because they like the gig. They get to play cool music and they get to get paid. How many drivers and business do you know that get to get paid? I have, a, I have a friend. Um, uh, you, you might actually, well, we probably haven't run into but he's in different circles. But uh, he plays, um, he's a drummer. He plays in uh, like five different gigs a week, right? And he gets mm -hmm. paid for every single one of them and he gets paid for rehearsals and he is in demand and he's, he's a decent cat, but he's not like, he's, he does like a lot of folk drumming and stuff like that for, for like folk bands and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and he's like, that was part of the thing when we had a conversation with him. Uh, we go, we went way back, like me and this other guy I was working with and we, we had asked him to join our band and he's like, well, what's in it for me? And like, I, I, I knew what he was asking. Like, are you going to pay me? And I'm in the back of my mind, mm -hmm. I'm going, I am not financing this. Like in the back of my head, like, this is not my group. Like I'm working for the other guy, but I'm working pro bono. Sure. Like that was kind of the thought. And I don't know why this yeah. hadn't occurred to me that other people think the same way too. It's like, I'm getting paid for this. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's, if, if a lot of people are sensitive to it because people are trying to draw them into democracies that they yeah. are going to fail. So that's, it's like, they're saying like, oh no, let's be a family. <laughs> and what the guy's really saying is like, play the songs that yeah because yeah. i have i have like very little energy in my life to put into this but if you're serious if you have, if you write good music and if you're gonna get gigs and if you're gonna take your if you're gonna fucking take command of your life and make something people are, people will come Dumb. to you and and the person you fire there's gonna be 10 other people on the market right. you can hire no. And and the band I'm in right now, um, the guy I the guy that that runs the whole outfit. So there's four brothers, right? And then the one of the brothers is or actually three brothers. And one of the brothers is taking the lead. Um, the fourth brother plays with us occasionally. And he he uh, we sat down. He you know kind of made me quote unquote an official member of the band, which I don't you know it's like whatever. I'm getting paid. I don't care. Um, and he, we sit down, and he says he says you know I you guys all have a say, but. At the end of the day, I'm the one that makes the decision. And I'm like, that's that don't tell us we have a say. Like that I, I sat I literally sat there at the table. I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, just mm -hmm. tell me what to do. You're paying me. I don't care. You know, like I'll do what you ask me to do. It's not that hard. Um and yeah. it's funny because it's like, well, I don't want to make people in the band upset, but but I, you know, but I but I want to have I want to have total control. <laughs> it's like just have total control, it's fine. Like if you don't like right. what I'm doing, fire me, get somebody else. Um, and I don't, right. unfortunately I don't have to devote a lot of energy to that project, but um, it's one of those, you know, it's, it's a nice to have cause it gets me a little bit of gear money basically is, is, is all it is. And sure. uh, so 
I'm not, and, 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 and I, I, he probably listens to this podcast. I re- really don't care at this point, but I'm like, I'm not putting a ton of effort into that outfit because I don't see it growing beyond like the $60. I get a cut, like it's like 60 or 70 bucks bar gig kind of band. And it's, if, if I felt we were, I would put in a lot more effort because there'd be something in it for me. And even though like I'm not being compensated for rehearsals, I stop and I think about the context of what goes on in this group. And I say, I'm getting, and I know this is probably the wrong way to approach it and probably kicking my own ass, but I'm getting the exposure to other people in my community who then may hire me because they see me mm-hmm. do this thing. And they, you know, they know that obviously I know what I'm doing. Um, and that's kind of where I'm like coasting along, you know? Um, and you know, there's so little time investment in this band. Like we do one rehearsal a month or two rehearsals a month. If that, um, listen, I mean, a- any situation that you sign up for again, it's like, you know, you're hired, you, you, you're in, you understand the terms you're in it as long as it makes you happy. And when 100%. it doesn't, you'll leave and they'll find 100%. somebody else, you know, that's, that, that's fine. It's not saying not every job turns into your dream job, but you know, some jobs you just are in, you understand what it is. You, you coast it for the time you're there. You make music and then you move. Yeah. On. You guys managed to make your dream job though. <laughs> Yeah, we really have, but you know, we we started with nothing. We start we start for three years, for six years playing for literally like touring every day. Five people yeah. of the show was a success. Yeah, you know that that was that was just a reality for as, the as, longest time. As you we're know, coming up on two good. hours, I just want to ask this question. So, what was the mm-hmm. what was the breaking point? When did when did the band become bigger? And was it? I mean, like you um, said, it was well. It was very gradual, but in 2015, we put out two videos uh, right after our rhythm section at the time that played on our fifth album, Aggressive Hippies. We were doing a long tour, and uh, and they both um, day before last of the tour, we played a show opening up for Scott Henderson in Chicago. We had one one show left on tour in in uh, Columbia, Missouri. Or no, Jefferson City, Missouri at the Jazz Festival there. We were supposed to like we drove all the way from the East Coast back to Chicago and we needed to drive away and they just quit on us the last day. Uh, yeah, it was like both of them together, they united. It's very like whenever whenever people have girlfriends, oh, fiancés, yeah. like out of nowhere in the rhythm section, they always kind of, it always starts happening. But anyways, uh, it was that kind of situation. They both kind of ganged up, become, became unhappy together and quit. And uh, me and Danny ended up driving to do that jazz festival, just the two of us as a gypsy jazz duo, like which is not what they hired. They hired a fusion band and we just came there like, sorry, we lost our band. Uh, did the show anyway, got back and we were, we were pissed off at these guys. And we were like, we called them, we were like, listen, we have a video session, bro. come shoot this video with us. And they came, that was the last time we saw the, that bassist and drummer, the ones that are Red Light and African Shopdown on YouTube. And we, we uploaded it to Facebook and immediately just I, yeah, I saw that video boom, boom, years boom, boom. ago. And yeah, and it got to it got to millions of people, you know. And um eventually, but uh at the time we had a Facebook group of like twelve thousand people that we built for five or six years. Mm-hmm. Five years. And um and yeah, but it was enough to get, it was in the days where before Facebook was a public company, so they were letting things go viral a little bit more. And also the audience we did have managed to give it just enough push to make those videos viral. So that started the thing that 
all of a sudden people came out to shows because right. they knew who we were. Like we had that like internet push that was like to start the marketing thing. And then we started getting into like, you know, Facebook and and uh and still pushing pushing our content, like paying for uh paying right. to boost yep. our posts uh with the videos to expand the group that way. And at the same time, we just kept touring and kept making albums and it just kind of grew over time, you know, and every tour financially was better than the one before we got more ticket sales. And 2015 was also the year where we kind of graduated from the bar scene right. to the venue scene. So up till that point, we just paid for guarantees and usually no door cover almost every show or a percentage of the bar, whatever deal, just they, whatever they did. Right. And after that, it was really right. ticketed mm-hmm. events. And it was a very traumatic move. It was, it was moving backwards in money for us. It was very hard to make yeah, that transition yeah. as a band. But we made, and we made it. And, uh, and ever since then, it's just been kind of a growing thing. And then when Facebook Live started being, when live video streaming started being a thing, we were right at the spearhead of that. And I've been almost daily putting out like kind of instructional thing where it's just like a daily, I'm putting it out too fast for people to actually like, right. you know, get all of it. It's, but it's like, but I'm kind of, they're along for the ride with our band, you know, it's yeah. more like the Truman Show. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people just kind of connect with us that way. It's just reaching thousands of people a day. And since we have, we do all of our booking ourselves. All, everything, all of our marketing. So you're your we own have, tour manager. Your own we do, merch people. We do a hundred percent of everything. So we got to a situation where our pie right. doesn't get sliced, and as the income grows, we just we you know we're doing right. better and That's better. That's a, so, a, a song and, we've heard echoed from a lot of different people over the years now, and yeah. especially in the last five years. Yeah, I, yeah. you got. I mean, you got to do it. Then. I mean, and this, you know, we have big gigs now. Like we're playing uh, next door. We're doing two cruises. We're doing a cruise with Yes and the guys from Dream mm-hmm. Theater, Cruise of the Edge. And uh, after that, we're doing the one with Moody Blues and Art Garfunkel. And the oh, nice. Blues. It's like, you know, and those things like, you know, pay yeah. really well and, and our great gigs and our, our just day-to-day gigs. Also, when we're on the road, we play seven nights a week. Like, we haven't had a night off on tour since 2003. Danny, the saxophone player, is a is a booking magician. He can book. It's amazing. You know, he's just and he's relentless and we never take days off. So we're out working, working. And we love it. And, you know, we our band sounds great on together. It's just even that album I sent you, I told you, it took us ten hours to record wow. it. We were so ready. You know, we just got in the studio, we just yep. hit it and played yeah. through. You know, there was no zero punch. Yeah, you guys no, and, punch and, and you can once. tell. <laughs> you guys are the punk rock of uh, of uh, album recording. Because so many people, I mean, when you think about a pop musician who spends a year or more putting together a record, you guys put it together in 10 hours. I mean, obviously you did, like you said, you were ready to go. You got into the... Yeah, well, I mean, it, right. there was nothing else to do. There wasn't like that, that thing of like, like, I wouldn't know how to play those songs Right, not with my drummer. I mean, I would, yeah. but it would just be weird because I because we can do it at the yeah. same time. Uh, <laughs> now, I heard a, a very important thing, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong um, on this. When you guys when you guys hit, 
One of the things that you just mentioned, and I think it's really important when it comes to musicians these days, is you're taking your fans along for a ride with you. Like you said, it's a Truman Show. And so it's not just, um, look at us, we're awesome, go yourselves. I, it's the, the magazine days of Steve Vai being like right. being an icon is our over. That doesn't, you can't sell that image anymore. People are trying, like, take a badass photo with a leather jacket, with the right light and all this. But, but people don't look at an album cover sitting in bed anymore and make up a story right. in their imagination of a man. They go and see the people in one second. Right. No distance. So you got, I think, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe uh, my, my perception of it is that if you're not going to provide the intimacy, this thing we're doing right now, right. Is what podcasting is, it's the, it's the inner workings of the mind and of the person and the intimate perspective and really using what this wavelength of technology allows, which is like, you know, this invitation into me and into you and into you and, and, you know, giving people that perspective. I think that's what, where the thirst is now. I don't think people are thirsty to like, you know, put a poster right. of me on the wall and like wonder what person I am. I mean, I never gave a chance to do it. Right. To be honest, yeah. yeah, I think I think that because we've heard that the sentiment echoed that like the days of the guitar hero have ended, and I and I sort of like we've talked about on the show before, and I kind of like agree with it to some point, but I think it's the idea of the guitar hero. In other words, like this whole like Eddie Van Halen, like in like you said in a in a leather jacket on the back of an album cover with the with the red striped you know guitar, and like we don't we don't I. Con, uh, iconicize things in the same way like I feel, yeah yeah the, the personification of people is is gone and and i think uh the way the music is the music mm -hmm. right but in a way that whole thing the magazine thing was a marketing sure ploy. and it was amazingly successful and, it, and and i'm just human psychology and and like how to play mythology into it and how to build a narrative around people, how to create symbols out of people to sell things. But now it seems to me like there's something else that's emerging, which is really the Joe yeah. Rogan thing, you know, like where people just are listening yeah. to hanging out, you know, Indep just, independent this, thought. This, and this, yeah. And, and, and the other thing is like, so the podcasting thing, right. like it's hyper-focused on a specific group of individuals that have like-mindedness, right? Right. Which you got to be careful because you don't right. want to be an echo chamber either. Right. But it's essentially right. like that kind of focus. Um, thinking about the the uh, Joe Rogan thing, like it's it's a fine line there because all, Jim and I also see ourselves as sort of like journalists in in a way. Yeah. And that's right. um, sure. but we have a very limited audience. I mean, it's not we don't have ten thousand listeners, you know, and it's yet. That's part we're hoping at some point you may God hear this willing. in the future and go, Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's dedication. I, and as again, I would love to sell out. <laughs> um, I yeah, would like to somebody to just pay pay the bill for the podcast. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're financing it. Um, yeah. but it's a, yeah. you know, but it is a fun it. experience. Jim and I do it because we love it. 
Um, we love having guests on the show. We love, you know, everything about it, really. And, and so our fans are, it's, are it's a, true fans. That's the good thing about it. everybody that listens to this yeah. are true fans of the show. Thank you for listening. And we appreciate and that. And they, we have a lot of connection with a lot of yeah. these people. Many of them reach out to us. We talk yeah, to them all the time. Questions I mean, answer questions. Great. Yeah. So uh, it's a participatory activity yeah. is what I'm right. trying to say. And so and the other thing is like, because we're, we're using the context of music, like it's a labor of love for us because it's about music, but also, you know, it goes both ways. Like we like podcasts too. And so it just works out that this happens to be the medium that, that all that, that fits together in. Um, there was something else. There was something else I was going to say, um, but I I don't recall. Jim, uh, actually, we're getting towards we the end of the episode. We got to ask one question. Yes. Do you have a funny a, like road story or something that's happened to you as a musician that you could share with us that that uh, is funny? Like at least you know something that, that happened to you. Sure. Sure. Well, okay. Um, well. I'm, I'm kind of like the guy to ask because we have a thing in our show called Story. Oh, that's basically, the way we title our songs is every song title on every CD, or at least in the last four CDs, uh, is exactly about a funny thing that happened <laughs> to us on the road. I tell the stories between songs and shows, so <laughs> they're worked out. Uh, yeah, on the last, on the. Uh, on the CD I sent you, there's a song called Fisticuffs, yeah. uh, and it takes place in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. You guys ever been to Eureka uh, Springs? I think I've driven through there. Okay, well, it look, it's very beautiful. It's like a mountain town. It looks like Toledo, Spain. Somebody spent <laughs> it. <laughs> That's the entire state of Arkansas. <laughs> we go into this bar and... And uh, there's an opening act, his name's Dayton, he's playing like 12 string guitar singing covers, right? And he finishes playing his set, we go on and play our first set, Dayton loves us, like a little bit too much, but we don't know it every time, right? So he comes to the stage with a tray full of shots and he goes, fellas, I got you guys shots. Like, Fuck yeah, we love shots. So we get shots like boom, 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 shots taken, right? We start talking, we love Dayton, Dayton loves us, nice guy, funny. I think it's a great idea to buy him a shot. So I go to the bartender lady, get a shot, walk it back there. I'm like, here you go, Dayton. And he goes, no, it's okay. No, no, here you go. I got you a shot. Like, no, it's okay. And I triple insist. And he has like a little moment. He's like looking at the shot, looking at me, looking at the shot, has a little moment of truth, grabs the shot, slams it, right? The bartender lady that knows Dayton, I see her springing up from behind the bar. No, She's like, oh, no, no. no. I so Dayton walks away from us and sits the bar like waiting, right? And we go out the stage and we're starting to play the intro of our first song of the second set. And he orders a bottle of Jack Daniels, and gets a shot glass, and starts banging time like a fucking <laughs> Whiskey level just dropping right now. Drinking that much whiskey that fast makes you marketing genius, right? They close the door and starts grabbing people by the t shirt from the street into our show one by one. Right? Big guy, right? Drunk as fuck. So the room is getting filled with these terrified pedestrians who have 
no fucking idea what they're doing at a fusion show, right? And I'm just like playing guitar. Yeah, you're like, I don't even know what to do. We need like more Dayton's in our life. We're going to be famous in like two months. And we finish our second set, right? And at this point, Dayton is really fucked up. And Dayton is rushing me like a bear. And he's trying to get a hug, like a bear hug. Now, women usually can't relate. When a grown man feels another yeah. grown man's cheek stubble, just yeah. like rushing against cheek stubble, something in your brain, I think it's like this tactile memory thing, flashes yeah, back to being a fucking baby, like the first ever gave you coming back like that feeling it just but it's like yeah. it's not your dad it's terrifying right but i'm just like like ah like get me the fuck out of here right and i just run away from each other maneuver out of his path right and at a certain point he passes out forehead first on the ball and i'm like this is the time yeah. we gotta pack up our van and leave so we pack all of our shit and we drive a full yeah. mile to the hotel and we get we're not ready to go to bed yet, so we're at the parking lot of this hotel, and we're blasting right. music, because that's how we hang out. We wake up, this shirtless neighbor dude comes down shirtless, screaming at us, very angry, and he goes, what the fuck are you guys doing? It's three in the morning. We're all trying to sleep. Blah, 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 blah. We get out of the car to just apologize, go to bed. Oh, no. Oh, bush, my right? God. <laughs> and it just goes... Boom, into the neighbor dude's jaw. And the guy is out cold on the street, right? And Dayton's hovering above him in fisticuffs, like, of the fucking 20s. I've never seen that move before. And he's hovering above this passed out guy, and he goes, you don't talk to Marvin like that. And we're just saying, like, he's fucking dumb, right? And I hovering shit. above this guy, and you're not good enough. You're not good enough, right? The dude jumps up, just wakes up, jumps up, good enough, right? The karate kid. Fucking face, right? Dayton goes past the fuck out. So he's probably dead if you name the song Fisting. That is funny. Uh, all right, all right. You'll have to go listen to some of the previous interviews because we've heard some stories, but yours was by far the best we've heard yes. so far. <laughs> so... Um, all right, how podcast has been good, dude? Wait, wait, done. We yet? haven't said goodbye. No, we have we still have to talk about a lot of things. Um, where can we, where can we see you right, right now? Like, you're on tour, or are you home? But uh, we're leaving on tour to the southeast, those cruises, and then back to the southeast. Um, okay, on March 13th. And then, what's uh, what your current That's... record, and and where can they get it? And Current record is called Strong Thing. Best place to get our music is marvinmusic.bandcamp.com, facebook.com slash marvinmusic, and the shows are all listed at bandsintown.com slash So, it, you know, pause, rewind, listen to that again, write it down, go find this guy, because, I mean, their music is just, it's, I'm putting you a need link to on, the, on our page. Oh yeah, we're definitely gonna we'll we'll link you on the uh, the podcast notes and everything else. Um, we've had a wonderful evening, oh. and uh, you've been. I got I got to say, if you're if you're in the Virginia Beach, Hampton, Newport News area, yeah, yeah, Wilmington is not too far from you. Yeah, Are you? we're playing. All right, let me know. I'll, I'll look for that right yeah. now while you're while you're yeah. talking. Yeah cool well i'm looking there forward to uh when you guys 
start playing here in the Chicago area soon, and I'm sure you guys play here frequently. So uh, once a year. <laughs> Is that only once a year? You're based out of here and you only play your Greenville. Greenville might be closer to you. I'm coming. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, we we love having you. We tell many of our guests, not to all of this, but many of our guests, we've told this, you're welcome to come back on the show whenever you like, if you'd like to plug something or whatever. um, I'd love to have you come back on sometime just to tell some stories because. You guys oh, some great stuff. We could just call it the sto- Marvin's yeah. pod. Story time with yeah, story time with Marvin. All right. So that being said, uh, it's time for us to wrap up this evening. Ivan, David. Ivan, Jim. Danny. Yeah. yeah. And uh, tonight we've all been practical guitarists. So, yeah. <laughs>